Well, good morning, Hope. Uh, it has been a thrill uh, to be in the Pacific Northwest. Um, uh, I think when I left North Carolina, it was 95. Um, when I landed at SeaTac, it was 77, and I was like, God's grace. Uh, I, I, was, I was super, super thankful. Um, but listen, seriously, let me, let, me, let me say this. Like, what... I mean, just the glimpse of what we just had in worship with all the blue shirts up here, y'all, that's not normal. Like, it's, it's not normal for a quarter of your worship population to be invested in getting the gospel and serving and taking, not only investing time, but investing money to make sure people know that Jesus loves them. There's plenty of churches that are happy to hang back. Maybe they'll resource it, but they don't go and do it. And I love the fact that you guys realize that the Great Commission means both sending and going, and you're doing both. And, um, and, and like, it's, it's wild. Like, I, I mean, truthfully, I'm in a different church in a different state every week. That's not normal. Um, make sure that continues to be not normal. Like, make sure that continues to be a part of your DNA here. I know it might be same old, same old, um, but man, don't, don't stop getting the gospel to your community and getting the gospel to those of us with disabilities. By most mission agencies' standards, those of us with disabilities in America, we're the only remaining unreached people group in the United States. And I think we're in your backyard. Like the, the stats in most metro areas, one in three family homes are affected by disability. One in seven adults across the planet face some sort of disability. That's a lot of people that need the gospel of Jesus. And I'm thankful you're willing to get the gospel to people like me. Um, so thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, Listen, before we get in the word this morning, uh, I do want to introduce my much better looking three quarters of, uh, of the Ritchie family. Um, they, they wish they could be here with you guys. Uh, my kids are, I mean, tomorrow they start week four of, uh, of school for them. Um, so they are, they are knee deep in, uh, in school. And so we were like, well... We won't let them skip this year. We'll let them skip next year, though. So uh, they'll, uh, they'll, they'll hopefully be in the room uh, th this time next year, by God's grace. But my wife, Heather, we've been married 17 years. Uh, last month, uh, she's, she's awesome. Um, and, uh, and if any of you teenage boys are sitting here thinking you're going to like be a cat person for the rest of your life and you're never going to get married, um, if the bald-bearded, armless guy can marry that beautiful woman, there's hope for you. Um, so, so don't, don't, don't think, don't think there's nobody out there for you because there, there, there's hope, there's hope, I promise. Um, and, uh, and then the little, the little guy hugging me, uh, that's my mini me, that's our son Teague, he's 11. Um, and then the, the cute little one, that's Elliot, don't let the smile fool you, she's a stone cold killer. Um, but, uh, she, uh, she turns eight here in a couple weeks, they, they send all their best from, from back in North Carolina. Um, and, uh, yeah. They're, they're, they're obviously, um, I mean, just a picture of grace, a picture that I never thought, um, I never thought I'd have uh, in, in my life, I think, just for, for a bevy of different reasons. Um, and, and I mean, like, I think first and foremost, truthfully, y'all, like, I'm, I'm not, 
I'm not supposed to be here. I mean, like, I'm, I'm not supposed to be, like, breathing, walking, talking, um, apart from the grace of God and apart from, from two parents that just embrace the, the chaos that, that my life brought. Because, like, you know, I, so I was, I was born without arms, um, no bear, no shark, nothing, nothing crazy. Um, y'all have wild imaginations. I, uh, I'll give you, give you that credit. Um, but uh, so this is just the way I was born. Um, so it's all I've ever known. But the wild thing in that, they didn't, the doctors never, catched my di- never caught my disability in utero. Like, nobody knew that this was what was coming until the doctors were holding me in the delivery room. And here's this armless baby boy, and then in that moment, too, I wasn't breathing, um, I wasn't moving. The doctors tried to find a pulse on me, and they couldn't find a pulse. And so um, the, the doctor that was holding me, he turned to my dad, and he held me up so dad could see that I didn't have arms. And then he asked my father, do you want us to let him go? Because he's looking at me and he's going, what's, what's the point? You know, like, what's, what's this kid going to do? And I'm, I'm super thankful that I had a daddy that didn't, didn't hesitate or wait or stutter. His, his very simple reply was, you're going to do whatever it is that you can do to try to bring my son back. And, um, and man, by God's grace, you know, doctors rushed me out, started to work on me in, in another room. And then... Couple minutes later, man, doctors walk back in with a kicking, screaming, armless baby boy, and, and y'all, truthfully, God, in His grace, in that moment, brought me from death to life. And for my parents, that was the that was the moment that they clung to in the days and weeks and months and years moving forward, because it's hard. It's hard raising a child with a disability. It's, it's especially hard. You know, it's like, I'm an 80s baby, so we didn't have this crazy thing called the internet. Um, and, uh, and so my, my parents didn't know anybody like me. My parents couldn't, you know, go online and find some sort of network or community. They flew blind. They did the whole thing just trying to, like, shepherd and lead as best they could. And y'all, by God's grace... The, the Lord gave me some, some talented toes, um, and, uh, and, and I mean, truthfully, for, for all the 7,000 questions you have in the back of your head, like, how's he write? Uh, how's he eat? How's he drive a car? How's he do this? I mean, y'all, what, whatever you do with your hands, I do with my feet, um, and, and it's just kind of, it's been like that since moment one. It's like the Lord inscribed on my heart, hey, buddy, I didn't give you thumbs. I give you toes. Go get them, and, uh, and so... Like, my, my physical body has never been a struggle at all. But what, what my struggle, I think, was, especially in the early days of my life and, and what I continue to face, it was very much so just like a, a, an emotional and spiritual struggle. Because it's like the story of my birth, like all, all the events that surrounded it, my parents told me that story when I was in, I think it was fifth or sixth grade. And when it hit me, like, you know, I always knew, I always knew I was different, right? Um, Especially in elementary school, you know, I'm special. But then to have the picture painted that because I'm different, there's a guy with a medical degree that took the Hippocratic oath to, to do no harm, who looked at me and said, why bother? Why does he even need to live? 
And y'all, that, that's truthfully, that perspective is the perspective that the outside world gives those of us with disabilities every single day of our life. It might not be in so much as why are you living, but the stares show the questions. The rude comments show how people question my worth. The, the low-key iPhone camera photos that, that people try to take when I'm out on a daddy-daughter date with my little girl. Like that, that lets me know what the world thinks of me. And so in those early days of my life, I grew up in church, I knew Jesus loved me. But I looked at my circumstances and I'm like, God, why don't you love me like you love everybody else? You gave everybody else two arms and 10 fingers. And I just, I, I felt alone and abandoned and unloved apart from my parents. And, and, and in, my, in my teens, I just went into a tailspin. I, I, I got depressed. I, I hated myself. I hated other people. I hated God. I was done. And God, in his grace, used just a, a, a chance invitation for me to come to a youth group event um, that led me to have a conversation with a student pastor that confronted me with the gospel for the very first time. Because truthfully, it's like I'm sitting down with this youth pastor, didn't know this guy, and I look him dead in the eye, and I'm like, bro, why doesn't God love me? Like, look at my situation, look at my disability. There's no way the creator and sustainer of the universe loves me and would do this to me. And this guy just opened up scripture, and, and I bet you he, he probably took me to 20 or 25 different <laughs> stops along the way through scripture, just showing me God's love that he shows for me in his promise, in his word. And I'll never forget two places. He lays out Psalm 139 where the psalmist says, God, you have fearfully and wonderfully made me. You've knit me together in my mother's womb and I will praise you for wonderfully your works. And I'll never forget this dude looking me right in the eye and he says, listen, you're not an accident. You're not a genetic mutation. You're not an oops. Like God knew what he was doing when he made you. And he made you both for your good and for his glory. Like, God, God gave you this body, this story, for a reason, and it's not accidental. And then he goes on to paint the picture, and I mean, I will, I will, I will never forget, he looks me in the eye and he says, listen, the greatest issue in your life is not your disability, the greatest issue in your life is your sin. And God shows his love for you in this, in that when you are completely helpless to fix your situation, in being a broken, sinful, disobedient, rebellious kid, God in his grace sends his son to live the perfect life you could not live, to die the death that you should die as someone who is a sinner and a rebel, and God raises Christ to life to show his power over both sin and death. And the promise is this, for those of us who trust and rest in Jesus as king, God adopts us into the family of God, and then he sends us out on the mission of God. The gospel is the picture-perfect understanding of how much he loves us is he did what we could never do to give us what we never deserved. And that's the beauty of the gospel for us is not only 
Does God get, re- restore our relationship with him and give us this, this eternal destination that, that the moment that we pass from this life to the next, we get to just hang out with him and worship and sit at his feet and soak in all of his glory. But he also gives us hope and strength and peace in the midst of all of this mess that we face day in and day out. And that's what I want us to see this morning is in light of the gospel, do we live like people who have been transformed by the grace of God. So this morning, we're gonna look in Romans chapter five. If you brought a copy of God's word, um, turn to Romans chapter five. We're gonna read the, the first five verses of this chapter. And now listen, like, as, as we read this, you know, it's, it's, it's incredibly important to remember, like, if you go through the, the course of Romans chapter five, the, 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 first, the first four chapters are not exactly sunshine and rainbows. You know, it's like, I mean, the first four chapters of Romans are painting the picture of just how incredibly broken man is, that we have gone off and we have chased after the lust of our flesh, that we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that by one man's sin, all of creation was broken and sits underneath this weight and this groaning that that has come because of the consequences of our sin. But all along the way, through Romans, It's like these little glimpses of grace that God keeps giving us. And here in Romans chapter five, we get the big broad brush stroke of the grace of God that we have in Jesus Christ. And so read with me, Romans chapter five, starting in verse one. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And through him we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Let me pray for us. God, in these few moments, as we look at your word, God, I pray in light of what you have done through the work of your son, that we would be willing to stake our life on his work, on his word, and on his call to go. That in that, God, we know and understand you are working and moving, even in our brokenness, for our good, for your glory. Father, we love you, we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Listen, a few things I want us to see this morning from this text. Um, if, if you're taking notes, um, I'm a slacker and I didn't give the guys in the screen the points, um, but you're good writers. Um, uh, so, so first point I want us to see this morning from this text is, is that in Christ we have a peace that passes all understanding. In Christ, we have a peace that passes all understanding. Now listen, um, I, I told the guys this week, like I'm a, I say I'm a victim of North Carolina public schools. Um, and so uh, reading comprehension, not high on my list, uh, obviously. And, um, and, and so I, I, you know, in studying for this sermon, reading verse one, I think, and just breezing through it real quick, I, I read that one phrase, we have peace from God. We have peace from God, but that's, that's not what it says. We have peace with God because we have been justified by the work of Christ. So, so let me kind of, let me slice that both ways because both are true. 
biblically. Both concepts are true, that in Christ we have peace from God, in Christ we have peace with God, so, so first and foremost, the peace from God. I mean, over and over throughout the lineage, especially of the New Testament, like for those of us who are in Jesus, we don't have to live in fear. Plain and simple, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faith, faithfulness, self-control. Fast forward a, a couple of chapters, and, and you see in Romans chapter eight, God has not given us a spirit, to, a spirit of slavery to fall back into sin, but God has given us a spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Paul writes to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter one, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Um, you know, the apostle Paul, he's writing to the Philippian church as he sits in a prison cell, not knowing if he's gonna live or die, and he's trying to encourage them to live out this life of joy, this life in Christ, and he says, listen, if you're freaking out, if you're fearful, if you're worried, take your worry to God in prayer, and he goes on to say in Philippians chapter four, verse seven, he says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The reality about our heavenly father is this, he does not want his kids to be dominated by fear. And so his answer to that is he grants us peace by his grace, his strength, his mercy, and his purpose. That's truthfully what, what any good parent would want for their children. I mean, it's like the, the way that my wife and I, man, we shepherd our kids. We, we try to make sure they are not dominated by fear. We want them to do mildly crazy and wild things. And so it's like I, I have an 11-year-old boy. He's in his first year of tackle football, and, uh, and he loves it. His daddy, believe it or not, uh, played tackle football for seven years uh, through middle school and high school. Um, and uh, and he, he finished his first day of practice at the beginning of the month. And, uh, and I was worried what he, he thought of the whole situation. He walks up the hill from practice and he looks at me and he goes, hey dad, how do you like tackle another person and make it sound cool? And I'm like, all right, uh, clearly, clearly he, he'll, he likes this whole like go hit other humans thing. Um, and uh, so, so that was encouraging. Um, my, uh, my seven-year-old, I told y'all guys she was cute, but she's, she's kind of sketchy. Um, she, does, uh, she does mixed martial arts. And, um, and so she's the queen of what is known as the rear naked choke, um, where you get behind another human being and you basically put your forearm in their windpipe until they stop moving. Um, and uh, when you don't have arms and you can't defend yourself and you're your little girl's like a koala bear. Um, I take a lot of naps in our house, you know? Um, so so we, have, we have raised our kids in, in such a way where, where fear is not necessarily just, just a part of our day-to-day -day fabric, but it's like there, there's still times when fear comes up, especially in the midst of the unknown, especially in the midst of, of what's coming our way. Like we took our kids to Disney World back in May and, um, and uh, we probably should have thought of this a little bit better as, as parents because they had never been to any amusement park ever before we spent $7 trillion <laughs> to, to go to Disney World. And we're like, I don't, I don't know how this is gonna go. Like, and so in, in all of our parental wisdom, we thought, let's find the biggest, scariest, fastest roller coaster at Disney World and that's gonna be the first one. 
And, uh, and so Disney just opened this brand new ride called Tron, um, which is, uh, it, it's like, if you've seen the movie, it's basically you ride these little, they call them light cycles. But it's basically, if you could imagine riding a roller coaster that goes 70 miles an hour, but you're not in the safety of a car, you're basically like finangled and smushed up into a motorcycle. Perfectly safe, right? Um, and, uh, and so like our kids are panicking as we're standing in line for this, this thing, and my wife and I were trying to reassure them. I'm, I'm like talking them up. But interesting fact, I've never ridden a roller coaster in my life. Um, because amusement parks hate armless people. Um, is, I mean, truthfully, like y'all, I'm not kidding. I, I, was, I was a youth pastor for 13 years. I've been to just about every amusement park on the East Coast. And every single place I roll into, they will not let me ride a roller coaster because in their words, they're like, if, if the restraint system fails, and I'm like, if, uh, you know, like, what kind of operation we running here? Um, but they said, if, if the restraint system fails, you can't grab on and you'll just go flying off and you die and that makes us look bad. So you can't. You can't ride a roller coaster. And so it's been like that my entire life. So I've never ridden a roller coaster. So I thought, you know, you get to this certain point in the line where it's the point of no return. I hold everybody's coats and bags and stuff. They ride, scream, come back. We tell stories. And, uh, and so I get to that point of no return. And I start walking off. And the Disney employee's like, where are you going? And I was like, oh, yeah, I can't ride the ride, you know. No, no arms and all. And she's like, oh, no, we made this ride accessible. Come on this way. And I'm like... <laughs> No. <laughs> so, so there are now three members of the Ritchie family that are about to ride a roller coaster for the first time. And I'm trying to keep my stuff together because I'm like, if I panic, they panic, and it's, this is not going to go well. And so I'm just kind of like, oh, yeah, this is going to be great. <laughs> Memory maker, you know. Um, and so we get on this ride, and, uh, and y'all, Next few minutes of my life, I don't remember. Um, like, I just remember it started fast, and then we were done. Um, and, uh, and so we get off, and my wife said, like, literally, I get off, and I am pale as all get out. I am walking like I got sea legs. Like, it was, it was a miracle I didn't lose consciousness. And, um, and so I get off, and I'm like, hey, guys, what'd you think? And the kids were like, let's do it again. And... Uh, <laughs> So my wife is like, let's do it again. And I'm like, no. But it's like for, for, for us in that moment, like as, as a daddy, to see my kids work through their fear, embrace it, trust their parents that they're not gonna, they're not gonna get their kids killed and, and, and to enjoy it and then proceed to just turn around and do it again. If that isn't a picture of the spiritual life, like so many times we face these things that we're scared of and we think, God, there's no way I can do this. And God says, I need you to trust me. And in the midst of that trust, he grants us peace as we're trusting our lives to the creator and sustainer of the universe. Peace from God. But I love the fact that here in Romans 5.1, the peace we have with God is he takes away every bit of fear that you and I have in this room that we're not good enough. That we've sinned too much, that there's too many skeletons in the closet of our past for God to love us. And we feel like my, my worthiness, 
into my entrance into heaven, my worthiness into my entrance into the Christian life, the best news for us, it has nothing to do with you. Everything to do with him. I love the way Paul describes it in, uh, in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter two. It says, for he himself is our peace, in talking about Christ, who has made us both one, who has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in his ordinances, that he might create for himself one new man in the place of two. So making peace, he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. It's a loaded scripture right there, so let me do the 30,000 foot view real quick. What Paul's talking about there is what we see here in Romans 5, that Jesus bridged the gap between sinful man and holy God. He became our righteousness that we could never attain. And so in that, he has brought us into fellowship with God. But I love he's painting the picture there too. As Paul writes to the Ephesian church in Ephesians 2, there's a big dust up between the Jews and the Gentiles. The Jews are like, hey, we're God's chosen people. God loves us. The Gentiles are dirty and nobody loves. But, God's, uh, but what Paul is saying there in the word of God is that that, that enmity is gone. Jesus died for the sake of one church. Not, the, not like the, the Jews and the Gentiles. You're either in Christ or you're not. And the great news is this, is that if we are in Christ, we're one family, one body. He brings peace for those of us who are in this room. There ain't, in, in the church of God, there ain't black church and white church. There, there ain't democratic church and Republican church. It's just church. There's just the body of Christ. And for us to realize because of his work, of our peace with God, we can live in peace with one another. So in view of what Jesus has done in making that peace with us, it's for us to live it out, both in our relationships and in our pursuit of him. And let let me just say this, like this ain't exactly the invitation time, but I do want you to fully know this. If you're sitting in this room this morning, you don't know Jesus as your peace, between you and a holy God. I pray this morning before we're done, come, come find me, come find Pastor Carl. Truthfully, come find Pastor Carl, he's your, he's your pastor. <laughs> I fly home tonight, so you'll never see me again. Um, go, go see Carl and ask him what it means to trust in and rest in Jesus as your savior, your Lord, your hope, your king, your peace, because I can promise you it's the best decision you'll ever make in your life. Do not kick that decision down the curb. Make him your peace with God this morning. I have three minutes, so we're gonna do these next two points real quick. Um, Second second point I want us to see um, in, in this text this morning is this, is that our joy in Christ comes apart from our circumstances. Our joy in Christ comes apart from our circumstances. As you look like the back half The back half of um, verse two, going into verses three and four, 
talking about Christ, through him we've obtained access by faith, in, by faith into this grace in which we stand. And then Paul goes on to say, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope. So what Paul is saying is this, you don't need a perfect life to have joy. So many of us in here, we buy both, like, we buy this weird synthetic Christianity that basically says, I can have Christ and I can have the American dream at the same time, and if I don't have both, I'm miserable. And that's a lie from the pit of hell. You can have joy in Christ and not have a net worth that makes all of your other friends jealous. You can have a joy in Christ and not have a massive amount of square feet in your home. You can have joy in Christ and not have the perfect body. You can have joy in Christ and not have things go according to your plan because the joy that we have in Christ isn't like this like bubbly, like ooey, gooey, squishy, like just obnoxious happiness. The joy that we have in Christ is, I think, what Paul expresses in Philippians chapter four. I've learned to be content whatever situation that I am, whether I have nothing or whether I have everything. His secret to facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need was the understanding, knowing that he could do all things through Christ that gives us the strength. We can endure the things in this life because we know the one that we have trusted our life to is ruling and reigning over the created order. And that's why I said we can rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And so it's basically the picture of this that y'all, for those of us in Christ, this life might not be easy but the best is yet to come. Y'all, this ain't your best life. Your, your best life is the moment you pass from this life to the next and you see the one that you have lived your entire life for in the first place and you spend eternity worshiping before him. That's our best life. And that's what we look forward to with full on expectation because y'all, here's the reality. <laughs> I was joking with my, my one-armed brother. Where'd you go? Hey, hey Gary. Um, but, but, you know, we, we were talking and, 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 you know, it's like we were dreaming one day about the glorified bodies and both of us having two arms or apparently according to him, both of us having one arm. Um, and, uh, and, and so it's like pe people hit me up a lot about like, hey, you, you, you I'm, I'm sure you're looking forward to that day when it's like you're in heaven, you've got like big burly gospel Jesus arms, you know, like, um, and, 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 in, and in that moment, like, the, the thing that crosses my mind is this. The moment that I see Jesus face to face, I do not care if I have glorified arms. I didn't trust Jesus as my Lord to get two biceps. I trusted Jesus as my Lord to save me from my sin and for me to walk in what I was made for in the first place. And so for us, that is the picture of rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God that one day I will have all I ever need. And it's him. It's him and it's him alone. And that's why we can rejoice in our sufferings, which sounds bizarre, but it's to know that God is sovereign in them. Because there is a bizarre tie over and over through scripture of a tie between joy and suffering. First Peter chapter one, rejoice in this, Peter writes to the persecuted church. 
Rejoice in this persecution, knowing that the proof of your faith, which is more precious than gold, even though it perishes by fire, may be found a result in praise and glory and honor, the revelation of Jesus Christ. James says to the persecuted church, rejoice in this, knowing that God is working in your afflictions and bringing you unto a complete person. We can have joy when things are hard because our joy is not in our circumstances, our joy is in our Savior. What he says and what he has done, because that's the last thing, it is his hope that is the anchor to our soul. It is his hope that is the anchor to our soul. That's why hope doesn't disappoint. Because again, like hope, hope isn't like, hope isn't this flimsy word that the, the, the world and the culture paints it up to be. Like the, the world paints hope is like, man, I hope the Seahawks win this year. Man, I hope Geno Smith knows actually how to throw a football more than one good season in his lifetime. You know, it's like hope is this like really weird word in the world. Hope for us in Christ is the picture that God has done what he said he's going to do. He is actively doing what he promised he will do, and he is going to do everything that he has promised he is going to do in the future, and that's what we stake our life on. Hope is the full and like full on satisfaction that my God is ruling and reigning and my God has me. And over and over in scripture, God is trying to remind us of that so that we know, we know, we know, we know. He wins. And for some of us this morning, we need to stake our hope, our life, our identity on that fact right there, nothing else. Your hope's not in your job, your hope's not in your relationships, your hope is not in your power, platform, perception, none of that. Because all of those things are gonna fail you. The creator and sustainer of the universe will not. That's the hope we have in Jesus, and that's the hope he's called us to share. And so this morning, I just simply ask you, in light of that great gospel hope, what do you do with it? Have you trusted and arrested in Jesus as your Savior, your Lord, your King? Are you living out what it means to have the peace, the joy, the hope that Jesus brings? Or do you live some sort of wounded Christianity where you show up here for an hour a week and then you live your other six days unchanged, unaffected, and paying no attention to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because God has called you not to be a victim, but to stake your life on one who has already won the war. And in light of that, it changes everything about who we are. So this morning, I just simply ask, is your life found in him? And if it is not, pray as we, we worship and sing this next song, come talk to your pastor. Come ask what it means to know Jesus as your everything. Let's pray. God, thank you for these folks. Thank you for your grace and how you've made them, your grace in how you have rescued and redeemed your church. God, I thank you for your grace and how you prove your love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Father, this morning, I would, I would just simply ask that we live like you are our everything. That we live, we, lear we learn, we, we serve, we trust like you are our peace, our joy, our hope, our everything. May we live in such a way that shows how we have 
God, we have gained so much in you and through you. And I pray we're people that are willing to share that with the world. Father, we love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.